Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I am your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Emily Sander. Here's a bit about Emily. She is a C-suite executive and founder of Next Level Coaching. As an ICF certified coach, she guides clients towards new perspectives that enable them to adapt and evolve as leaders. She is the author of the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. Some of you may want to know, how do you hack executive leadership and et cetera? But today we're going to talk about the elements of success and you'll find out why. So without further ado, please welcome Emily Sander to GEMS Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be on. My pleasure, Emily. So let's dive in here. Let's talk about What was it like for you to write your book, Hacking um, Executive Leadership? What did that look for you? And um, with you being a woman in executive leadership, did you feel like that was an extra layer that you had to peel back? Yeah, so I'll take those one at a time. Writing the book was a product of COVID. So, you know, at the very beginning of COVID, everyone was locked down. And that was all well and great for about a month or so, plowed my way through Netflix. And then I was like, I'm going to go bonkers just staying in here. So I have to do something with my time. So I decided to write a book. And I never thought that I would write a book in this stage of my career, the stage of my life. It was kind of like one day I might get to that type of thing. But I had a whole bunch of time. I wanted to make it productive and useful and helpful to people. So It's basically a culmination of my time in the corporate world, so my 15 years in corporate America, so to speak, combined with my coaching practice and my work with coaching clients. So a whole bunch of recurring themes were coming up and and useful frameworks and strategies that would help people. And so I thought, how do I get this to more more people? And a book seemed like a good way to do that. So that's how the, the book came about. Um, certainly a journey. It was a character building experience at certain points, but very happy with the result and very happy to be talking to people like you and your audience about it today. And that is awesome. And when you mentioned 15 years in corporate, I could totally resonate with that. I spent 15 years in corporate as well. 12 of them were spent in the oil and gas and energy sector, which is very male dominated. And with you being a woman, and then you put on put on the other factor of being a woman of color in a male dominated um, field, it's like you want to accelerate, but then there's so much red tape that you have to muddle through. And whenever you are a woman in that field, it's like you're either seen as aggressive or they want to label you as the B word or other not so nice words. So did you face that as you were climbing the corporate ladder or were you privileged to just have an easy pathway? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everyone has had their moments, um, you know, some worse than others. Certainly, um, I, I resonate with what you're saying around 
a certain behavior, if a man did it, would just be labeled as, oh, they're being, you know, competent at their job and they're, you know, being forward looking. And if a female did the exact same thing, it's often seen as, as something else. So uh, there, there are those double standards and things that we just have to face and know that it's going to happen in reality. I was just talking to a colleague of mine and, you know, obviously things have changed for the better in the last 50, 60 years. So I think we're definitely moving in the right direction. I'm really encouraged by young girls being able to see business leaders and political leaders that are women and women of color. And that's just setting that example for people to see, hey, someone who looks like me, someone who was brought up like me can be be successful and I can literally envision them in these roles. So that's all helpful. But yes, I mean, when when I was first coming up, when I was, my title was, director of client management. And I remember being on the interview loop for an EVP of sales and marketing. So a very high ranking role. And I was by far the youngest on the interview loop. And I was uh, not the only woman, but I was the only minority. And I was just, just when you saw director of client management and my name, Emily Sander on your roster for your all day interview, you did not expect me to walk through the door. And so I would often uh, you know, take note of people's initial reaction when I walked in and said, hi, I'm Emily, and I handed them my business card. And some people you could tell took like five seconds to adjust and they were like, yep, no problem. And other people were just like, wait, are you really Emily? Is this a joke? And some of them would not look me in the eye and they would kind of look at my, at my forehead. And I'm like, are you trying to, what are you doing right there? Um, some of them did you know, very, odd things when they shook my hand and I'm like my you know reach their arm up to my elbow and shoulder and I'm like that's not something you would do with the male counterpart so um, certainly all of those all of those types of things have happened Um, I will say that I have been very fortunate to have mentors and leaders who made it a point to to be equal and fair about things and that didn't mean putting unqualified people in positions just for the optics of it, but they went out of their way to say, I want the best person in this role. And if that's a, you know, Hispanic female, then they are going to be the CFO because they're the most qualified for that role. If that happens to be, you know, a white male, then, then great, but they're giving um, opportunities to different, different people and different types of candidates. So I've been very fortunate to work in leadership teams where that's just the expectation, that's the precedent. And also that is the expectation for us as the leadership team to drive that and show that example and espouse that for our different departments as well. So it was expected of us to do that for our, our respective uh, groups of uh, areas of the business. And that's incredible to hear. It's so refreshing. And I can't wait until all leaderships get on that same bandwagon because now with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, you see it as a check the box, uh, meaning they're doing certain things to uphold what their shareholders want, you know, convey the optics outwardly, but inwardly looking, you don't really see, okay, the secession plan for certain groups. And you're like, wait, didn't you just do a campaign that talked about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? But where is it evident within your corporation? Is it just so you could get, you know, the dollars or are you actually going to put your mouth where your money is and take actions that line up to 
what you are saying and what you're preaching. And it's kind of hard, especially whenever you do like maybe recruiting and they want you to appeal to the younger audience because one, you look young, two, you could speak the language, but then whenever that person um, gets a job offer and they come in, they're like, this is not what I signed up for. And you feel bad because you're like, I, you had a job to do and your job was to persuade that younger individual to come to the company because we saw them as an asset versus a liability. But then our downfall is we didn't uphold our end of the bargain because we weren't showing them, you know, the whole picture. We gave them a glimpse. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's a two-way street. So interviewing is always a two-way street. And Finding that culture fit and that team fit is so important. So you can talk about aptitude and hard skills all day long. And that certainly is part of the interviewing and recruiting process. But equally, if not more so, it is, is this individual going to work well? And it might not be like, oh, you're a bad person or we're a bad company because we just don't jive and fit well. It might just not be a great fit. And that's an important thing to suss out in the interview. But yes, I mean you know, another piece, not necessarily me being a woman, but it's, I, I happen to not drink. And so a lot of the after hour types of things where the guys would go out to the bar and kind of, you know, have a drink and, and talk. And I'm like, I can go with you and I can like eat food um, and, and do a club soda and lime. Um, but that was another thing where it's like, oh, Emily, like, do you want to come with us? Can you come with us? So a lot of those, you know, behind the scenes or after hours, uh, discussions and decisions were happening then. So I had to find a way to kind of get into those conversations or get into that decision-making process. Um, but yes, I think there there is, and we're on an inflection point right now where it's the popular thing to do. And it's the kind of the thing that everyone wants to try to front that they're doing is like, yes, we're being inclusive. Yes, we have diversity. Yes, we're checking the box, as you said. And it really is important that we're not just checking the box and there's that fine balance between we want to be actively looking for the right candidates and we want to be giving everyone the opportunity at these different roles but we don't want to be plugging someone into a role that they're not a good fit for or they're not qualified for and setting them up for failure because if you're just plugging someone into a role because oh my gosh you look a certain way and I need you over here so I can wave my flag and you can wave from the float then that's not serving anyone in a positive way so there is there is that balance and I know it can be tough because well-intentioned recruiters or leaders are, are trying to balance um, what is being expected of them right now but it's an important conversation to have and I really like forums like your podcast to discuss things discuss these things and just be open about them instead of kind of tiptoeing around people. Yeah, because um, I think that it's a partnership and it, like you mentioned, Emily, it is a two-way street. Just like that company is interviewing you, you also need to interview that company as well. And if something doesn't sit right with you, bring it up because maybe the previous candidate didn't bring up that point and they didn't think about that. So you have nothing to lose because if you see yourself as an asset, other companies are going to see you as an asset. Whether you get hired on with that company or not it's not the end all be all but you should remain true to your morals and values and never um, compromise or settle for less just to get in to 
fit that slot. So now I want to shift gears here, Emily, and I want to talk about what you have behind you, the elements of success. Because when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's so cool. It looks like the periodic table, but then you put your own spin on it. So let's walk through that. And why are each one of those six elements important to you? Yeah, well, I mean, these, these I just saw these and I really like them. Um, it's, a, it's a fun spin for people who can't see it. There's, you know, mindset, vision, legacy, hustle, those types of things in the format of the periodic table of elements. So the elements of success, um, it's a play on that. But yeah, I mean, uh, the big one I like is vision. So as a leader and just as a leader of, our, of ourself, we have to have a vision for what we want to be. And to me, that should always be at least one step outside of what you are today. So you can describe how you are today and, and the kind of person you are and what you're doing today. And that's great. Be self-aware. And then take it one step further and say, me in a month or six months or a year or two years, what do I want to have accomplished by then? What type of person do I want to be? And reevaluating, you mentioned values earlier, which is so, so important. That's your North Star. That's your compass. That's your anchor. That's your grounding. So always have those, you know, in, in place and be able to articulate them to yourself and to others. And when you're going throughout your day and making decisions, sometimes big decisions, career decisions, life decisions, those can be tough. And if you're anchored with, hey, I have my North Star, here's my value set is this in line with those or not? Is this getting me closer to my goals and who I want to be or not? That's a, that's a great thing to have. So vision for yourself. And then obviously you can expand that too. If you're a leader in the corporate world, what's my vision for my team? What's my vision for my company and uh, our clients and products, et cetera. So vision um, is, is probably my favorite one off of those. And then I know um, behind you, there's mindset to the left and then vision to the right. What's in the middle? Because I can't see the middle one. Uh, so there's hustle on top and then there's success. Success, okay. Uh, success on the bottom, yeah. But mindset's a great one. I think a lot of people trip themselves up by having, having the wrong mindset. So I talk a little bit about this in my book and the analogy I use is a contact lens. And so everything you see in the world and all the experiences you're going through um, are going through your filter and your belief set and your mindset. So if you, if you, you know, had a real contact lens and it was tinted blue, everything you would see and everything you would experience would have a blue tint. So same way, if you have a negative mindset or just kind of a self-defeating mindset, let's say you're going into a team meeting and you're like, I'm bad at speaking and I'm a, I'm a bad communicator and I don't have anything to value that team meeting is going to go one way for you. <laughs> and that experience is going to go, is going to seem like it's going one way. If instead you put on the belief set, the mindset, the contact lens of, I am a great communicator. I have a lot of value to add to this team. My voice matters. My contribution matters. That team meeting is going to look a lot different to you. And you're going to show up a lot differently as well. So having uh, taking inventory of kind of your filters or your contact lens of what mindset you're going in with and what uh, internal chatter you're allowing or you're playing um, in your mind is really key as well. 
And I want to challenge our listeners and viewers here to um, pick apart each one of these six elements. So for greatness, I want you to write down what makes you great as an individual. Make sure it is something that you could do in a setting where you have no distractions and you're really practicing mindfulness. Then when it comes to mindset, what are some old methodologies that you need to purge away from in order for new paradigm shifts to emerge? merge. Then when you think about hustle, what's your hustle? Do you have a side hustle? Do you have a personal hustle? And do you have a professional hustle? What's going to help you level up so you could then drive into the success? Because success is one of those elements. What makes you successful? Not what makes your family think you're successful or your peers think you're successful, but where do you see success tied to you? Because it's going to be different than what Emily's level of success is or what Genesis level of success is. Success is personal. And when I think about success, I was like, what do I want my palace to look like? Because then I start with the end in mind and I reverse engineer it back. Then legacy. So we're going over to the top. When you think about legacy, what type of foundations are you building? What type of empire are you creating? And what do you want um, future generations to see? Do you want to create generational wealth for your children and your family? And what steps do you need to take in order for that legacy to be built? And then vision. What's your clarity? What's your focus? And what is going to make sure that you have that 2020 vision? Because I thought 2020, the year of 2020 was going to be perfect vision. But in my book, (laughs) I called it far from perfect vision, but a slap of reality. That was a horrifying year for me. Not only did I lose my best friend, aka my dad, but then other things started to happen. But then I had to look within and do some soul searching. And as I did the soul searching, then I was able to shift my mindset to have those paradigm shifts so I could be whole externally because it makes no sense for me to be broken internally because over time that's going to spill out. So that's just a fun exercise that I want to challenge each one of you as listeners and viewers to do. Take time to really figure out these six elements of success and then do a mind mapping session. You could do a brain dump where you just start writing down what comes to mind, or you could even do your own personal SWOT analysis where you um, break apart the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats so you could level up in your own areas of success. Would you like to add anything, Emily, so we can make sure? That was impressive, Genesis. You did off the top of your head. You saw those and went with it. I love it. Yeah. No, I I love everything you you recommended there. And yeah, for legacy, it's really what do I want to leave behind? What do I want my legacy to be? So that's, you know, very forward looking and it's zoom out for perspective, but it really is asking, okay, you know, what do I want people to say about me when I'm when I'm not here? What do I want people to feel um, and remember that, oh, I interacted with Emily or when I went to Genesis, like this is how I felt and this is what happened. Um, and that can point you in the right directions as well. So yeah, love it. Everything you said, love it. Awesome. And now I want to dive a little bit deeper now here into your book. So we're covering all areas of Emily in a quick, um, a quick conversation. So your book. Um, back to hacking executive leadership. What was the hardest thing to write in your book? 
and why? Ooh, what was the hardest thing to write in my book? Um, I mean, everything was within me and it was just getting it out. That was probably the hardest part. So just kind of free association writing sessions and forcing myself to just write something, even if the words were good or the words were medium or the words, oh, these words are not good. They don't make any sense. Um, but then just getting them out and then and then putting them in order that made sense. I think the biggest one for me was trying to describe something like the contact lens because I knew what it meant in my head and I knew uh, what it meant to me and how it works uh, with myself and with clients. But getting that like on pen and paper and in black and white. So how does this flow and how would I explain this to someone if I'm not talking to them? That was that was a bit of a challenging one. So those types of analogies or those types of concepts. But I think hopefully it turned out um, it turned out pretty well. I actually like the contact lens because it made me think of those of us who wear glasses, because if you wear glasses and you need your glasses to see, once you take off your glasses, you lose focus and perspective. And for example, if I look at Emily without my glasses, I can see her face, but I can't make out her physical features. I could hear her voice and know it's Emily, but I'm out of focus because my spectacles or my eye, my eyeglasses is what guides me and what zeros in everything. So I could bring her into focus and clarity similar to that contact lens. So whenever you thought about that, I was like, oh, it reminds me of my eyeglasses. <laughs> and with contacts, it takes me forever to put them in. So I barely wear my contacts and they end up like expiring because I buy them in bulk and the daily ones where I <laughs> throw them away. Yeah. And with contact lens, the big thing there is like you forget that they're on. So you forget you have this whole lens you're, you're filtering the world through. But in the opposite direction, some sections were easier to write. So for instance, the failure loop, that's a difficult or it's a more difficult concept to explain, but I could draw like a chart in my book. So that kind of helped with, hey, you have a loop uh, an individual loop, and then you have a chain of these loops going up into the right. And, you know, an individual loop might be a failure event, but if you take the learning and lesson out of it, you propel yourself to the next chain in the loop and you're going up into the right overall. So you're going in the right direction. So things like that, it was almost easier to have a visual in the book. So um, back and forth just depended. And I liked how you talked about the hard part as well as the easy part because we're always going to have a both in our life, whether it's hard or whether it's easy. But in each one, we have a valuable lesson to learn. And I like how you mentioned you drew something in the book, the diagram. And the most important thing is learning from our failures. Our failures don't define us. They actually help redefine us because if you look at it, and say, okay, you know what? I didn't really succeed in this area, but what did I learn from not succeeding? Did I learn more about myself? Did I find grit? Did I find resilience? And did I have more structure? And how can I build upon that? Uh, Absolutely, so I, I love that. And I'll just jump in and say, a lot of people stop when they quote unquote fail, cause it feels bad, right? It feels like crap. Sometimes you just are like down on yourself and you have to admit to yourself and other people that that did not go the way I wanted it to go. So it's not easy, but it is, as you say, a, a vital and critical part of redefining yourself. And I love that, I love that take on it. Um, but people who are willing to do that work in that moment will get further and that's what makes them successful. 
Can you share an example of a time that you failed and what lesson did you learn from that failure? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So let me, let me think of an example out of the dozens that I, that I could, um, you know, a big overall theme for me, to be honest, has been, I, I used to over worry about pretty much everything. I would over worry and overthink. And, um, I remember getting so worked up going into this, this team meeting and, you know, leadership board meetings that I would just dread it for the entire week going up to it. I would think about nothing else. And, um, and I would over-prepare and, it, and I, it didn't change my performance. It didn't help me get better. And so uh, one time I did, by all accounts, do badly in a meeting because I was so over, you know, amped and overthinking and clamped up and wasn't in my right mind. And so I used that and said, okay, Emily, let's take a look at what you're doing. You know, what is serving you well about that process? Almost nothing. <laughs> and what would serve you better? and take the lessons and take the learning from that. It felt awful because I was so embarrassed. I, I, I did a crappy job and uh, it was in front of my colleagues and my boss and my boss's boss and it just was not a good situation. But in that moment, instead of drowning in my pools of pessimism, I said, pick yourself up. Like, what can you take away and what can you do and what are you going to apply next time? And it didn't happen overnight. I, I'd love to sit here and say like the very next, you know, board meeting, I was amazing. It was a process. It's been a years long process, but I did it and I took that step and then I got a little bit better. And then I took the next step and got a little bit better. And, you know, now I can walk into almost any, any meeting and say, okay, I can hold my own and I know how this goes and I know how to work out the, you know, unexpected things that might pop up. And that's just a function of me. I remember that moment sitting there in the, in the night after that, that meeting and saying, Emily, you have a choice right now. You have a choice right now. You can stop and you can declare yourself a failure and wave your white surrender flag, or you can get up, like pick yourself up and go. And I'm glad you picked yourself up and kept on going because now you're coaching and helping other men and women. So when you transitioned to your coaching, what did it look like in the beginning? And then how has it morphed where you are now? Yeah, I think um, my time in the corporate world lends itself well because I, I can relate to a lot of things that my clients are going through. So it might not be the specific company or the specific industry, but I've seen enough iterations where I'm like, oh, yep, you know, you got a merger and acquisition or, oh, you inherited a new team or, oh, my gosh, a new boss came in. Those types of things just happen in business. And so you see different versions of them and are able to help. I think um, when I first became a coach, I went I'm ICF certified and went through the whole official training and everything, but more time as a coach, I'm able to lean more on my coach training, not just my experience, my personal experience, um, having gone through it myself. So it's really flexing the, the coaching chops and the coaching muscles uh, versus just relying on like, oh, well, if this happened to me, like, here's what I did and this might work for you. So it's really about pairing. Yes, I have a set of experiences, which is very valuable, but also what's going to help my client the best. This is an individual, they're at a certain point in their career path, they're at a certain point in their mindset and thinking, how do I meet them where they're at and kind of flex to what they need? And it's not about what I think is best for them or what's going to make me feel good. It's how do I serve this individual in front of me the best? And what question or relevant question can I ask or what new 
perspective or paradigm shift can I get them to take so it opens up a whole new avenue of thinking for them and they can move forward in a good way for themselves. Absolutely. And as you were talking, I keep hearing partnership keeps coming up, collaboration and really creating those synergies. So it's not just one sided, but it's like, how can we do it together to make sure you get to the level that you want? And who is your ideal avatar to work with? Sure. So I typically work with early to seasoned executives. So if you're kind of in a director, VP type of role, or just inherited that type of team, um, or if you've been at the C-suite for a while, that's that's kind of my my avatar, so to speak. I have worked with uh, some of my favorite clients, our first time managers. So it just depends. Um, but I love uh, working with any any business professional who's driven and growth minded and uh, just wants to continue getting better and serving their teams and, and their different people. And as we wind down, Emily, what type of gems would you like to leave the listeners and viewers with? <laughs> You've dropped all types in this segment, but if they could gravitate and hold on to two valuable gems to help them light their inner spark and get moving, what would that be? Growth and perfection can't coexist. And so I, I'm a perfectionist. I have a streak of perfectionism, but um, for my fellow perfectionists out there, you have to put yourself out there, get yourself on your growth edge, which is one step outside of your comfort zone. And just remember that's a mark of success because growth and perfection can't coexist. Um, what is my second one? I would, I would say rethink rethink your concept of failure. So know that um, the quote, I, I will succeed because I fail more times than you will try, or I will fail more times than the other guy will try. And that's why I succeed. So it's not a mark of shame or guilt or embarrassment when you quote unquote fail, that's a mark of success. And that's how you become the person that you want to become going back to that vision statement. So those would be the two gems that I'd leave your, your audience with. Amazing. And how can they connect with you? Um, what's your website and where do you hang out on social media? Uh, yeah, so my website is nextlevel.coach, nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. And then um, you can find me on Twitter at nextlevelemily. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and you just heard Emily Sander. We talked about all things, elements of success, and how to get you from stuck to unstuck so you can really walk into your true self, own your zone of genius, and really be an asset versus a liability. Never second guess who you are. Don't compromise your morals and your values to appease others that were never meant to be with you on the lifelong journey. And remember to seize the day because opportunities are always there, but you want to make sure that you own in on those opportunities and you don't let them pass you by. Until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening and follow us on YouTube, Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp for all video content. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform 
as well as our YouTube channel, Gems with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at gems, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.